Progressive values are being challenged globally with right-wing governments getting out of fucking control by controlling women. These anti-feminist regimes want to take us back to when men were in caves and women were their property. Will the mainstream media eggs them on with think pieces to question our right to live how the fuck we want? And they think we're just going to take it up the ass? Bitch, please. Join us, your favorite intersectional feminist bitches, to bring the wrath of intersectional bitchdom to these misogynist, racist, ableist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-poor motherfuckers by joining the bad and bitchy movement on our Patreon, where you'll get real feminist news, real feminist takes, and a real fucking intersectional feminism. You will support not only our pod, but our work on initiatives like Orders Up, where we hold the restaurant industry to account for their culture of sexual harassment. Visit patreon.com forward slash bad and bitchy to support independent feminist media in this time of resistance. These people need to be held accountable by those who are not in their back pockets and trying to get into cocktail events with them. Stay bitchy, my friends. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. Guys, it's good to be back together. I know it is. I feel like it's been forever. I don't know why. I don't know why. Because we recorded last week. I know, but it feels longer than a week ago. It, this week has felt so long. It Monday felt like Wednesday, and Wednesday felt like Friday, and I don't know what day today like is. Like that actual meme from... 30 Rock. 30 Rock yeah. like, felt like my life. Oh, thank God week. it's Friday. Lemon, it's, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw yeah. That. yeah. Uh, Still not Friday. <laughs> no. Just I, my so God, clear. for a second, I also still thought it was Friday. What the fuck is wrong with no, me? No, no. Remember, we're on our summer recording schedule, which is Thursdays. Ugh. Which means we're drinking. Because <laughs> it's not Saturday morning. <laughs> Although we should probably think about making Caesars a thing for uh, the fall. I'm a Melissa person. We should do but like. We can customize it. Yeah. I would be a totally down for mimosas. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> did you guys see that Ottawa born Canadian boss Sandra O oh was nominated? Oh, for an Emmy today. The first Woo! Asian to be nominated for a lead actress role. I did see that, that because awesome. I am a fan of Killing Eve. Okay, so I haven't watched it yet. You got to watch it. It's uh, her show done. on VV. Oh, yeah. wait, you started watching Just the first okay. episode. I, it's hard to find. Anyway, you don't need to know how I access it. It's very yet. Sandra <laughs> O in the sense that, like, you know, this is not somebody who has everything together all the time, right? right. And that's her charm is that She's quite normal, and I'm using quotation air quotes, um, in the sense that the expectation of perfection is not there with her, I find, and which, fi- which I find relatable. But she's not like a hot mess like Carrie. Like, I feel like, right. you know what I mean? She gets to be an adult. She gets to be an adult, but like an honest adult. Mm. Mm. We're just like, okay, the wall is caving in, and I'm about to scream right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, but I'm a fan of Killing Eve. I cannot wait till it comes back. I never watched Grey's Anatomy. I hated that that movie with wine that she did with Paul Giamatti 
Um, that's the, that's the main character you have to take away. That's under the Tuscan sun, right? Yeah. Or <laughs> no, it's um, no, no, it's uh, it not? sideways. Sideways. Um, sideways. I hated that movie. Didn't watch it. Don't. Was, it's anyway. just no. Okay. Like and uh, fine. Critically acclaimed. Great. Maybe I just didn't get it. Maybe if I watched it today, I would get it. But whatever. So shout out to Sandra O. Oh, um, and yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Just excited because I love killing. Can Eve. we just talk about like very briefly, like how ridiculous this is that she's the first woman to be nominated, Asian woman to be nominated for a lead actress role? Yeah, that's like nonsense. It's she should have also been nominated for Grace. If anyone yes. from Grace should have been nominated, it ought to have been her. There were absolutely. multiple seasons where she was a complete standout. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. and I have no idea because I've never watched an episode of. Grey's Meanwhile, you've got fucking <laughs> Catherine Heigl who was just like, uh, no, 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 okay. she was just like, <laughs> I didn't submit my stuff for Emmy consideration because I just didn't think it was up to snuff and like wasn't good enough. Yeah, no one does. I by wasn't the way. given enough <laughs> more the most complex storylines. Well, no, because you're a shitty actress. Yeah. She is a shitty actress. And you know what? where she's going to shit all over? Um, th- uh, suits. Oh, I know. I was so upset. I, was, so I was not impressed. I'm just like, that's funny show. to imagine, like, the entire royal family has to tune into that shit now, you know? And, like, they're just, I know she's not, like, currently on it, but there's, like, a, you know, like a a an, af- an affinity for that show. And I, I mean, abroad, too, I think they're like the pursuits is more well regarded than it is here domestically, which is kind of hilarious. Well, it's not the most. And so know. now Catherine Heigl's like a big export. I always think I think that show is teetering on like just being a bit asinine. Now that Jessica's left, Gina Torres. Oh, yeah, she's oh. great. She was great. Like I, I think she was the mama glue that held that show together. It's not a good show. It's really, it's a. It pre- really it's is really it. a procedural. Like has an like a very rigid, somewhat like a formulaic, you know, approach. That's like of like the TV of yesteryear. And it's well, it's yeah. a yeah, and it's it's so a uh, white knight. Yeah. In terms of the way the story sure, unfolds, yeah. but like, like but for Meghan Markle, it yeah. would it would be a completely irrelevant show. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Once Gina Torres left, and now Meghan Markle, and I'm like, what? What's left? Catherine Heigl? I don't think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, the first time that uh, Netflix or anyone has exceeded uh, HBO in Emmy nominations in 17 years. Yes. Which is also, nice. I'd like to add that Westworld received the received 22 nominations tying them with game of thrones and westworld is h- a hot mess yeah, is it i've never, I've never seen it. it it's on my list i People hear are different pretty things. fanatic about it and it's they because they probably know they have to wean themselves off game of thrones i the only thing. got through two episodes of season two so far honestly half the time you're watching the show you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> right. and i think part of the intrigue of the show is that is the the culture after the show and the conversation right because there are very few shows where you can gather afterwards to discuss theories and whatever in the same way that game of thrones does and that lost did yeah yeah you don't have those like cultural moments anymore well, and the thing with yeah. the number of uh, like nominations is that a lot of those are technical because sure. because of the way it's done and like Absolutely. filmed and what it goes into it. So I don't put necessarily a lot of stock in the number of nominations that yeah. a particular show gets. Like everything, averages and everything, distribution matters. 
off math again. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Erica, anything, uh, Amy, anything I just want to add? Okay, so <laughs> I learned a very important lesson in how to negotiate this week. So I'm renting my parking space. Oh, yeah, I got to do that. And so um, let's just say I let it go for cheap before. One, because I didn't know any better. And two, because I was just desperate at the time. And no shame in my game. <laughs> like, um, but this time they wanted to renew and I was like, no, no, no. And they want to renew at the same rate. I was like, no. And so it's for like um, a construction project around here. So I'm like, I know you have to park here because good luck finding somewhere else to park. Mm. So I basically asked for $190 more. What? Yeah. Whew. In a month <laughs> than I did last time. And I. What the fuck were you charging last time? <laughs> well, there you go. Um. Not enough, and I got it. Damn, I got it. So I the got a parking spot. I gotta find something to do with it. Can you be my parking lot broker? <laughs> I feel like the m- the lesson is um, number one: like always know your value. Mm. Uh, granted, this is a parking space, but this extends <laughs> to you know if you're a freelancer, entrepreneur, or you have clients or whatever. Always know your value. Don't be afraid to charge it. And I know how difficult it is because I struggle with this too. It's a huge struggle. And I get that. But um, yeah, that's what I would say. At least always charge market rate. Mm-hmm. At the very least. Because then people take you seriously. True. That's my piece. I so, like it. so it's like a new lesson of fake it till you make it. Yeah, it is actually. It's it's a very good lesson. I never truly understood what fake it till you make it meant. Mm. But now I'm like, I get it, I guess. Yeah. I thought it meant you had to be fake. No. Right. I think it's I sort of the other side of imposter syndrome. Or like mm. the counteraction to imposter syndrome. Like mm. a lot of us have that initial self doubt, which is why you would not, you would undercharge or you wouldn't charge for your time mm. because you don't, you know, you don't think that you necessarily deserve to be. Right. And then on the flip side, what you should do to counteract that is fake it till you make it. Cool. Well, I want to unpack this later. <laughs> I think it's a not good day, but like I'm in, just general. in general, like I think it's a good conversation to have because I think a lot of people like I get messages from people who struggle. They're like, how do I? And I'm like, eh, you just have to like you have to hit the send button yeah. and then cross cross your fingers, yeah. basically. But don't think like some dude off the side of the road, white guy. Um, would charge exactly that and and give less and think nothing of it. Right. Yeah. Or rich people, rich people love like a, like whatever making money off everything. I went to like there was someone during Tulip Festival. This like one of the beautiful houses along Dow's Lake, and mm-hmm. they had like a yard sale during Tulip Festival. And I was like, oh great, we can finally poke around this house that we never get to look at. <laughs> And they were like, would you like to buy our, like, Ralph Lauren towel circa 1982 for $5 a piece? And they were, like, tattered, tattered, and, like, the color was completely gone. It's like, 
throw it out or donate it. Like, the fuck you running a yard you sale for? You did a fucking rag to clean Seriously, your Mercedes. But these people were, like, selling, like, all their throwaway shit. Because I guess that's how rich people get richer. I don't know, but... Anyway. I thought they got free stuff. They get free... They find... Well, they find They find money, and they mm. try to make money everywhere. Make money. Make money, make it rain. Anyway. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Well, that was a long intro. I enjoyed it, though. Sure. <laughs> I'm just saying. So uh, this week in feminism... <laughs> Ontario's new progressive conservative government, led by Premier Doug Ford has announced that come September, the province's updated sex ed curriculum, which was brought in by the previous Liberal government, will be passé. Instead, they will be bringing in something even more passé, sex ed teachings from 1998. The curriculum brought in by the Liberals was updated from the previous one to include warnings about online bullying and sexting, same-sex marriage, masturbation, and gender identity with those last three items, major points of contention for social conservatives. The PCs have said that they will consult parents across the province in order to create a new sex ed curriculum, even though the Liberals had already consulted parents across the province. So basically, Doug Ford is trying to appease the religious conservative base that helped him get elected by teaching sex ed from 20 years ago. So uh, uh, things that were relevant in 1998, Hmm. just as a refresher... Uh, Brandy and Monica were fighting over a boy. Uh, Sean Combs was still going by Puff Daddy. Uh, the first Apple iMac was introduced. Uh, the world's biggest toy and your biggest nightmare was the Furby. Oh I remember my like, oh my the God, waiting the list for that Chilling. thing. Um, France won the World Cup. So that, that could be relevant by the time this comes <laughs> out. I, I don't know. Um, a Bug's Life came out. Classic. Classic movie. Peak animation technology. It's true. Titanic came out. Mm, oh, no, in 97 it came out. Yeah, Armageddon was the big movie in 98. Oh, it was and Armageddon. And Saving Private Ryan. Right. Yeah. Um, Bill Clinton and Ken Starr were named Time Person of the Year. In fairness, Ken Starr Star is still relevant. <laughs> still relevant. <laughs> like, he's Terrible. Like, uh, relevant adjacent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> relevant adjacent. <laughs> Well, no but one's like, about think about how little are. we knew about oral sex or like other other kinds of uh, things Napster. at the time. Napster thanks to Bill was Clinton. so ninety eight. Yep. Um, Al Gore had not yet claimed to invented the internet, um, nor had he made his presidential uh, aspirations known. Yeah. Not for a year or two later. Yep. Um, the much derided Seinfeld series finale aired. And the average cost of a house in the United States was $129,000. Fuck off. It's like triple that now, in case people were wondering. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so um, so uh, basically, um, the we can just assume that the sex ed curriculum is as outdated as any of those things. I feel like the Euro came out around then, too, or something. Uh, there's a lot, man. There's a, yeah. there's a whole other world, right? Like, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, there was no 20 years ago there was like oh my god it was a wasteland <laughs> yeah um so erica one of the arguments put forward by social conservatives in their opposition to this curriculum is that the topics of same-sex marriage masturbation and gender identity um maybe also sexting i'm not quite sure um are topics that are inappropriate to be dis- be discussed at school by someone with the appropriate resources and the actual capabilities of educating young people, and that instead these topics should be discussed 
in the home <laughs> by parents. His parents are so good at yes. talking to their so, kids. So really, this is basically coded language for, I believe these things are wrong. I don't want my child to learn that they're acceptable. So do you think that we can get past this impasse in believing that kids should be informed about the risks and realities of sex and sexuality regardless of the views of the guardians? Oh, oh, parental rights and all that. So if your parents are adults, I, I don't know why I'm using that for the second week yeah, in a row. Yeah, that's weird. I, that is weird. No, it's because I, I edited it. <laughs> and I'm like, where did I come up with that word? Um, 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 I think that, um, I think it's a public health issue. I think after a certain time, it just becomes a public health issue. Well, exactly. And so like, at what point is it irresponsible and neglectful for parents to shield their kids away from this information? Oh, neglectful? Um, well, I, I have to admit, I think anything having to do with the physicality of sex of and everything surrounding that is a public health issue i think too that um but what you can't just teach these things in a vacuum right you can't teach um about anal sex and yeah kids should learn what the fuck anal sex is well at the very least they should learn how to protect protect themselves ag- well they the should act. well they should know about the fucking biology and shit it's it's well, it's, I, an, it's a number. I mean, CAFA is a number of different things, yeah. right? Because it's not just the act of sex, no, 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 right? No, no. Like that's it's, what I'm saying. It's, it's the vulnerability. It's everything yeah. around, surrounding that. The emotional aspect. And the emotional aspect that they didn't teach before that I think was a mistake that they didn't teach that. Mm. No, and they don't teach it. They, they didn't teach about personal boundaries. They didn't teach about consent. That's obvious, and we all know that. The other piece of it is that for government and for... Uh, trying to protect children who are vulnerable. I mean, the vast majority of claims of sexual assault and harassment involve folks who are underage, minors, children, who can don't uh, need the skills to be able to identify what's happening to them, be able to know what is wrong, and to use the proper terminology to report these sorts of incidences. And certainly the people coming from households where they're exposed to assault and like rape and whatever else definitely are not the households that are teaching this stuff. So to rely on that, like, absolutely makes no sense. Um, and it, in fact, it creates an environment that um, gives, gives um, right, like, free reign to folks to assault and abuse children. Um, and I don't think we can make, it's not just, like, a select few. I've seen some awful comments on Twitter where people are going after folks speaking out about what happened to them growing up and talking about their childhood abuses and how partly they couldn't express it because they've been so much taboo around sex and people sort of blaming them and blaming their parents for being monsters. Well, it's like, you don't have to be a monster. Like, lo- like, this stuff is so pervasive, this, this type of abuse, and regardless, it happens. And so even if that's not the average household, like, you still have to protect the most vulnerable, like, people and children and give them, like, you know... I the swear. like language and empowerment to be able to I swear like I I must have gotten like like an edu like a public education which talked about touching or something like that like I feel like that should be in school in well you know good touch versus bad touch yeah. and all of that well that kind of was what like oh, wasn't I it in know. school it wasn't BC it wasn't Alberta 
I we're looking know. at Ontario. I went, like, to Catholic, I went to Catholic school. I think they just saw whatever they wanted. They went rogue. Oh, yeah, you're fucked. But it's but <laughs> but, but it's uh, this. It should be the same curriculum, and it what technically was at the time. But they no, they would elect they not they would elect not too. to teach yeah. it. Yeah. Um, or teach it in different ways, and it is teacher dependent, like teacher dependent. And you had people who, you know, because it was all it was taught in gym class. These like awkward gym teachers, like who weren't, you know, yeah. that wasn't their specialization. It maybe wasn't a comfortable space to do it. Yeah. And like they were not themselves educated. They're given something, they're reading it out, and like tons oh. of testimonials coming out now about people's like very awkward experiences of yeah, of and those like first first moments. I think that sex ed in general has evolved in how it's approached by educators and i th- i think I th- although i'm not sure um is that like with the new curriculum it was given much treated much more seriously given the content that it was touching on i don't obviously don't have kids that are in school and i don't know any teachers who have had to teach it but like my my assumption is is that so much care was taken to develop the, mm-hmm. the curriculum that the same care should have been given to teachers to make them to give them the skills to be able to convey this information to students but well, i think that generally whether or not you're a teacher whether or not you're a parent it's an uncomfortable topic for people and i think that we just need to talk about it more openly so that it becomes less stigmatized and that people find it normal to talk about these topics. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, uh, I mean, it's, it affects so many things. Like, to go back to the public health piece, like, it's more than just the, like, again, just the actor or, or and you know, it's, it's sex and gender identity. But it's also, like, personal health and, like, knowing your own body. And we, I remember we, d- we certainly that part I remember, the book was called Fully Alive, and that expression still haunts me. Um, but like those were the books that we used, at least in the Catholic program. But because 20 years was so long ago, people now start their periods two to three years earlier. And so that the way the curriculum rolled out then, it's like if you still taught it now, people would be getting those lessons after about puberty after they had hit puberty. So like it's pretty much obsolete in that sense. And there's all sorts of like those you know antiquated aspects of it that it's not just it it, it, like it comes out in so many different facets of what's being taught yeah because the reality is is that kids regardless of their age are increasingly experimenting with gender fluidity and sure there's that too yeah and so or having same-sex parents so like how can you have kids in the school who have these different experiences whether they have same-sex parents or they're you know experimenting with their gender and just figure out what fits for them and not address it openly well i think i think i think it's it's yeah it's irresponsible i think it's discriminatory it's discriminatory to have students in your classroom who are well not even experimenting right like people know and people can vote uh, probably are already vocalizing and some aren't and want need to be given the tools to be able in the space to be able to vocalize their gender identity. Right. Like I don't mean necessarily like experimenting with their gender, but no, like no. I was definitely like much more of a tomboy when I was a kid, but like still identified as a girl and like that can look different. Sure. But yeah. or orientation yeah, or what have you. Sure. And some people may already know that. And certainly yeah. there are families that don't look 
the way or I mean, obviously, we still had same sex families and different kinds of family configurations 20 years ago. But I don't think we had the same protection and rights and we don't have the openness that we do now in other aspects of society. So on the one hand to say we have all of these laws, but then your child is going to come to school and be taught a heterosis like normative view on family and being and existing is ap- I, th- I honestly think it's discriminatory. Yeah. So what are the implications of this shift in the, the, the curriculum there, Amy? Like how is it going to affect um, how consent is taught and experienced by girls and like other marginalized genders within schools? And is it going right. to be kind of like there's just like a gap in this knowledge for this period of time or is it going to be like playing catch up later down the road? Oh, I just I think it's fucking dangerous. Like people have well, well, one in terms of like, you know, whether it's um, sexual orientation or gender identity, there are there is like create like one setting the tone that we're reverting back to this when a lot of young people are aware of this discussion already or now we've given a license for their for some bigoted parents to hate more openly is going to create a toxic and bullying environment in the schools on in terms of consent and sexual harassment i think you're going to see a lot or a continuation of like people ignoring consent, not understanding consent, committing acts of rape, assault, and harassment, um, both at school and elsewhere. And we we know that. I mean, we've seen, there's so many examples of, of um, you know, like the Retea Parsons example of, a, like a, you know, a rape of like a young girl where, li- like where the boys then later were saying, you know, there's different statements about how they thought they knew what the line was and what it wasn't and they kept you know talking about what was because we were all drinking and that as sort of like an excuse or a fallback and I think I'd like to imagine that had people that there been an earlier intervention situations like that would have happened to say nothing of the bullying after the fact and this like taking the taking her picture and the like harassment online and all of the the stuff that followed. I think um, parents need to be more accountable in general. Um, where The schools have to pick up the slack because the parents aren't doing their job at the end of the day. And so if your kid doesn't know about consent, then I'm blaming you. If your kid doesn't know how to treat another human being with dignity and respect, I'm blaming you. If your kid shits on people all over the bus... Obviously not literally. Maybe also literally. Maybe also. There literally. was that story about that there woman was in about, DC, <laughs> about that woman who was like oh, pissed her kids and like shitting all over. She the shat in that yeah. store. Yeah. Yeah, I'm blaming you. I think I think that we live in a society where parents want to mollycoddle their kids and don't want to discipline them. And I'm fucking tired of people's shitty ass kids. Sorry, not sorry, but you know we see your kids when they present themselves outside of your house. So I only uh, I only assume that the reason that Kyle doesn't know what the fuck consent is is because of you. Okay. And these are the same people who want to vote for Doug Fords because they don't want to deal with the icky stuff. Fuck you. Yeah, like to be able to say like, oh, like X topic makes me uncomfortable as a parent of talking with my child is like a level of privilege that like I can't even deal with. I can't even. And your shitty kids 
date good people's children. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> one important topic, like aspect that we haven't really talked about is this, like the lack of internet in 1998. Oh, it's huge. Because yeah. like, yes, there are the federal anti-bullying laws, but like, it's not the same because like it's basically distribution of child porn. If like someone's sexting and kids don't understand the law and how it works and for schools well i mean parents are definitely not going to be talking about to their children about what their legal obligations are as like when they receive these images because like they probably don't know um then they should find out but, like, that's what google's absolutely for absolutely the job of the schools to do it at the very least because like we teach kids right and wrong and we teach kids about morals and See, I see the schools as the catch-all because the parents don't do their job. Sure, absolutely. But we teach kids that, like, oh, you know, you shouldn't kill but people when it, because but that's when it whether I think parents have to reinforce what's taught in school, yes. right? The two, the two, it's not they're not mutually exclusive. No, and I don't think you There's can have a, one without diagram. You can't have one diagram. without the other. And the whole idea that and and it's not just the cat, it's not just a safety net. It's also an equalizer between the di- variance of, of the knowledge and backgrounds yeah. of different parents, their capacity to... Fair some parents enough. don't yeah. have enough time to be doing all this extra whatever. They're not, they can't parent to the same degree other people, you know, have t- one-on-one time with their children, for example. Or, yes, you know, w- or, they d- or they don't know the laws. I or they don't really have the capacity to, to share that information because of their own capacity issues. Yeah, I think that's a really great point is that, like, there are people who aren't able to spend much time with their children because they're working, you know, shift work. They have precarious work. They're mo- working yeah. multiple jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, because of that, the sc- someone needs to step in to, like, play that role. But I always find that those kids, like, okay, so but I'm just aren't, you aren't the problem. I, no, they're just not. No, I think like it's all I, sorts I of, no, it's, I don't know. No, 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 it's true. a generalization. But at the same time, I find that well, those kids. people would say the opposite. People would say latchkey kids are the problem. Oh, they have. But I don't think, but, it's, I but, don't think but you can assume, and that's the whole issue. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, obviously this is anecdotal evidence, right? I'm not, I'm not, this is no scientific evidence by any stretch of the imagination, no data. But what, from my experience, from what I find, it's not those, like, the kids that are the problem are the kids with everything. No, and, and that are the most comfortable. But that's the what I mean by ones. it's the also. Entitled but that's ones. what I mean. It's also an equalizer because you could yeah. have those parents in their kids ear saying you're perfect. Everything you do is fine. I'll protect you and defend you and I'll get you a lawyer should something happen to you. Right. Well, who is going to correct that message fair, that they're fair getting? Fair enough. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it c- I mean, it cuts a number of different ways. The point is that everyone should receive the same education. It can't yeah. just be everyone gets to learn a different measure other than how do we know what the measure of what yeah. is an act that is like beyond totally. what the social do like we know what the difference is in terms of by province like mm. because you bring up the equalization of just having that similar type of knowledge right for everybody in the province i wonder what the difference I'm sure Ontario I'm sure Ontario that was part of the research that they did but I don't know that I'm I don't I w- know either I'm curious now I mean you could say that about any curriculum across Canada yeah the variance is pretty significant I just wonder how other provinces are doing it I guess that's why I think education should be federally regulated but <laughs> whatever um yeah well it's I not a bad point it's not a bad point that you make what I find interesting is that 
and this is just my last point on this, is that the Doug Ford government wants to re-consult parents and spend money on consultations despite wanting to cut $6 billion in funding across the province. But no, no, we'll, we'll consult on things that have already been consulted on, but we're just going to run the consultations in the way that we want. Because those consultations are bullshit. It's, gonna, it's a fucking farce. Well, and it, in, the same in the same week that they canceled a consultation meeting with in indigenous leaders around the like curriculum that would bring in issues of reconciliation into the classroom. And said that there wasn't enough money to fucking fly people in and have them hold this consultation. No, but like they, did, they, they got rid of like upgrades to schools, so like kids oh, are that too, yeah. learning it under safe conditions like yeah. go fuck yourself yeah um so what can we do about this uh definitely contact your mpp regardless of the party that they're in let them know that this is irresponsible and wasteful since you know the consultations were already done um an organization or an organization called lead now has a petition that you can sign and don't forget like you can definitely just organize a good old protest uh particularly outside the offices of conservative members of provincial parliament and uh, and you can volunteer to be an educator yeah. with different organizations and offer this these kind of programming at, like from outside groups going into schools. And if you're a teacher, you should go rogue. Cool. You should gorilla teach the oh. old curriculum. <laughs> That's well, the now old curriculum. So our next topic is how our federal immigration minister in Canada, Ahmad Hussein, spoke at a venue known as a criminal hangout. So an article in the Globe and Mail this week written by the Ottawa bureau chief Robert Fife and Michelle Zilio uh, cast dispersions on our federal immigration minister Ahmad Hussein for providing, quote, a briefing to members of the African-Canadian community at a Toronto barbecue establishment. However, the department hadn't advised him that court documents identified it as a known hangout for members of the notorious Black Act Criminal Syndicate. Um, end quote. The story continues with, quote, the owner of the Suya spot has denied any affiliation with the Nigerian-based criminal organization that has set up operations in Toronto and Vancouver. Police say the Black Axe has been exerting growing influence over the Nigerian diaspora in Canada, as well as engaging in organized crime from everything, including fraud to money laundering and intimidation. The Immigration Department confirmed that the minister went to the Suya spot to speak about the risk of Nigerians trying to cross illegally into Canada from the United States. The majority of people entering Canada between, the, between legal border crossings in 2018 have been Nigerians carrying valid U.S. travel visas. So Amy, our friend of the pod, Vicky Mochama, called this piece in the, uh, the Globe and Mail bad journalism as it doesn't pass the Globe's own journalistic standards. What does this piece say about the media's portrayal of immigration or and or of their portrayal of migrant communities? Yeah, well, I think it's a really disparaging piece. Um, you don't get a lot of information when you read it other than this sort of broad strokes assumption that that's what this spot is. Nothing about the n like any police checks or calls, not that I think <laughs> you want to put too much stock into that, but like 
to satisfy the fact that it's being alleged as a spot for criminal activity, there is one reference to an immigration refugee board decision that makes that reaches this conclusion, but they don't really go into how that fact finder got there. And frankly, I think those decisions tend to be a little bit dubious. But clearly, this was a spot that people congregate congregate at. It's part of the community. Other folks go there. We don't hear from them. We don't hear from the owners. We don't hear anything about what what this like restaurant is really about and who it's for and just this sort of like assumption that it is for new like you know that it that it is this hotbed nothing about even the organization that is purportedly linked to it and so now you're taking a racialized cabinet minister putting them in a place where other other racialized people meet other black people specifically and then cast this like you know what like just bizarre sort of like weird just one degree of separation sort of thing to say that he you know he's exercised bad judgment or he's in cahoots like I don't know what you're supposed to conclude from it but I don't think it's positive you know yeah and I think that um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with regards to um, the differences between illegal immigration migrants and the language that the Canadian media uses to refer to these people. And I think this kind of like just like continues to exacerbate that issue. Okay. So I have many, many thoughts. So let's start with the author of this article who, as you guys said, is the Ottawa parliamentary bureau chief. Great. Good for him. Okay. He's old. He's white. He's, baby boomer like he's everything i just despise he is a media gatekeeper he's thank you he's a media gatekeeper which means he controls basically what we see in terms of content at least from a specific viewpoint from um a more federal viewpoint or whatever this man has purported his his idea of what race is because apparently he keeps getting asked to be on race panels on race mm-hmm. and he was on an all white panel discussing Trump's shithole co- uh country's comment yeah. with Conrad Black okay Ugh. on an all white panel talking about the racism in that and of course Conrad Black who is greasier than a tub like of blue magic hair cream is like <gasps> i i just i can't like i i really just can't i i don't understand and now i understand once you said gatekeeper why these guys keep getting a platform there was also the robert fife who questioned the existence of systemic racism in a cpac interview so oh man i'll never forget that so can we can i and just he he said that the liberal government strategy announcement of a strategy to counter systemic racism and then flippantly dismissed the announcement as a wedge issue given that school children seem to be hanging out with each other because because now that school children hang out with each other and black people marry white people racism's dead you know and this guy this is, uh, to be honest, the Globe and Mail went full racist this week because Margaret, Margaret Wente had a column about 
oh, don't worry about the violence. If you're not one of these people, you're not, you don't have anything to worry about. And I'm like, who the fuck are these people? I mean, in fairness, I don't necessarily count Margaret Wente's column in the Globe and Mail as like contributing to their like general racism because well she continues to be employed while other they pay her she contributes yes but like that's they hire her to be racist incendiary yeah okay so the fact that a national newspaper that by the way had to let go a whole bunch of staff because they ain't making any money can support and 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 give a platform Mm -hmm. to racism is a problem in itself okay back to this story so (laughs) The Globe and Mail decided to go full racist this week. And this, make no mistake, this is a racist article. It is an article that doesn't even pass the sniff test of journalism and pieces together two two ideas that aren't even proved as fact together because there happens to be a whiff of coincidence. Yeah, I mean, it's, re- it's really it's tenuous. It's it's tenuous at best, and I'm sorry. Some type of 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 evidence from the immigrant and refugee board. Are there a court of law? Well, I, I in a technical sense, they are a tribunal <laughs> that has. They're, they're a tribunal. They're not like not legal. They're no, not tri- legally tri- tribunals vital. supersede courts. Beca- well, tri- tribunals have their own jurisdiction. Okay, so what what he's saying is that they're the equivalent of a lower level court. Okay, but but that's not a f- but that's that but to accept that as a fine to accept a what is an, an uh, what we say is obiter a a a comment that is not really the crux of that decision as a finding of fact that you're going to use in a journalistic piece. I I you think thought it's it was really just reaching. an addendum. Yeah, it's just like this side comment that comes yeah, out in the I thing. Yeah, I thought the, I thought it was just like, the oh, they were over on this place and, and whatever. And it came up in this one case. Nothing about what the criminal or so-called criminal organization is. F- I'm not denying that they don't exist, but like, what are they? Nothing factual about that. And then they missed the boat on like, what is their most, like what I found the most interesting thing which is something we've already talked about on this podcast, is that you have the Minister of Immigration, a black cabinet minister, being sent out by the prime minister to go yeah. and ta- to go to m- immigrant communities and tell them, which is this is, what the, this is really what was going on. He went to this restaurant to tell members of the Nigerian community, to tell relatives and friends and acquaintances and contacts in the U.S. not to come to Canada and make claims here because they would not be accepted. They would be denied because of the safe third country agreement, which which is absurd and ridiculous in its own right. But that's that's the tour that we've re- referenced multiple times. He's on this tour. He's been sent out all over to relay the message that people can't get status here. And is that not the more interesting piece of this story? Not that he happened to be at a restaurant frequented by dubious people. Oh, I was getting there. (laughs) I just hadn't gotten there yet. It's like there's like a lack of critical thinking. And like, I know that like, obviously, Bob Fife is well regarded in the, the journalist community. And like, this is the story you get. I think that some, I think that a lot of these white elite privileged reporters who are the gatekeepers their time is now time's up yeah it's past it's gone the world that they want or the world that they imagine or the world that they think they live in does not fucking exist anymore time's up bob Fife. and and i think gtfo that 
Yeah, and I think that these issues are too complex for them to wrap their head around. Yeah, they're too dumb for the issues that they're talking about. Too white for the issues they're talking about. Well, what is the difference? (laughs) (laughs) I joke, lovely white people. (laughs) But let me carry on and criticize a black man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know. Minister Hussein, okay. Um, In parts of the black community around, I would say, Ontario, and probably extends to Canada if they give a shit about him, I don't know. Um, Let's just say his ability to represent the black community from a black community perspective is questionable, especially amongst the younger black people. Let's put it sure. There. Yeah, like there's 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 this idea out there that he does a jigaboo for the liberals. I'm just saying. We have a spit take happening. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and Very that's close. and that's alcohol, <laughs> so you know that burns. <laughs> I lost my voice doing that one. There, I'm not lying. I am not lying. I'm just saying that around some circles, I'm not saying every black person, I'm not saying every black person of a certain circle, I'm just saying that his brand amongst his, in some parts of his own, is questionable because of exactly what Amy's saying and exactly something like this. It's like it's like he carries water for the liberals. I am... Obviously, I'm never going to work for the liberals. <laughs> I don't whatever disagree with you, and I w- I wonder whether that's like a choice that he made. Like he did consciously. Come, like I wonder. Like he did come here as a refugee. Exactly. And I wonder if that was like he learned. That's like a learned behavior. Oh, to oh as- yeah. To assimilate. Sure. Oh, in or, this country, fuck or, yeah. Or. <laughs> If it's or to be the a good conscious decision to become a politician and get in with a liberal brand, well, I, th- I think it's. Or the if those are I think I think those could be the same thing. There are a lot of poli- elect a lot. Well, I would say the vast majority of elected officials who are people of color have a good. Mi- I'm the good migrant mentality. Yeah. I'm one of the. The it's good res- ones. I came in the right way. I put my application in the right way. My f- my parents were educated, or I did everything right and went got the schooling, and I earned everything I got. Yep. Even if even the progressive ones think that way. Yep. There's an exceptionalism. Yeah. And sure. And that is bound that. by respectability politics. Yeah. So yeah. say what you will about the Democratic Party and their like internal in their infighting, but they at least have individuals. Yeah, you they have Alexandria, some radicals, yeah. You know, Ocasio-Cortez, who, like, doesn't give a fuck about <laughs> Auntie the Maxine. establishment. <laughs> yeah, Maxine Waters. Anti-Maxine. Um, but then you've got, like, people But they're, out- like, they're outliers. Yes. But, but they're still in the party. No, no, I... And I, they still I, are I, able... I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. like, we're, we're seeing more We're just of saying it's sure. marginally better, I think. Is yeah. Based people, marginally. People are able mm. to be a little bit more individualistic. Yeah. Like, even sure. in the Republican Party, you've got... Um, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, who are more moderate and are happy to speak their minds about how they're pro-life, and well, we we've always and, ha- and to speak we've always to power. had a different system though in terms of how party partisanship and wi- like the yes, like how the party co- line caucuses are whipped. 
to like the end thing like to have a free vote is like but the thing a is very that, like, rare exception right so but it's completely ridiculous because like in the parliamentary system you have a majority government i know it's absurd you should so you, like you you can have a you few can dissents. afford yeah like it's not a big deal yeah, like not, why do you? That's need not the culture we live in. It's such fucking I know. bullshit. It's because we're not grow a fucking spine. Yeah. Well, and then it's funny because then you have the opposition parties who then sometimes will be like, oh well, we have we're letting our members vote freely and use it as a political like chip to boast about that when actually like it's irrelevant whether or not you vote freely because you know you're gonna lose. <laughs> yeah. But Canadian politics anyway. is such a fucking circle jerk. I it's, can't. Stand it's definitely it. a wow. farce. I think this is something that we really have to be watchful, though. Like, this type of reporting is so, it's beyond problematic. And we have a federal leader with a turban who has been a fucking target for this sort of shit, too. Yeah. And this is so, this kind of reporting is so eerily similar. And I am pissed as fuck that no one took notes or learned a lesson from how they treated drug meat sing around the, this, again, another very tenuous at best connection to someone who had said one something one time that was se like a separatist notion that may have involved supporting political violence that they spoke at the same rally like yeah. it's completely sure absurd completely absurd the same place as some like Oh, like think of the number of Canadian leaders who've been at the same place with uh, Quebecois separatists who talked about political violence, and you would have no fo no and former what about prime minister all being the able Canadian to serve. leaders that have been in the same spot have been invited to rallies by the far right. Hold on, hold on. It's not even the politicians. It's how many fucking journalists have been in events where people are people are talking about Quebec separatism. Well, that's the other thing, and this is the thing. What we're seeing. In the media, it is the Canadian media's like systematic criminalization of ethnic spaces. Yeah. This is what we're it's seeing. It's dog whistle. It is a dog whistle journalism. That's why I'm saying like the Globe and Mail. This Nigerian just restaurant that yeah, serves the it, Nigerian community. That serves that, that food. No one goes there. It's very dark and only the darkest people would yeah. dare enter. Like that's really like that's the tone of this fucking article. And you know what? If you can fucking continue like this type of fucking bullshit, no wonder you're fucking not making any goddamn money. Because nobody wants to read your shit. At the end of the day, I mean, they have to rely on the content they put out. And if this is what the Globe and Mail has put out, bye, go under. I don't give a shit. I really am so sick yeah. of these mainstream Canadian media outlets. A, they're dealing with issues that they have no expertise for. It's obvious to me that Robert Fife doesn't have the expertise to write this article. Nope. It is obvious to me. He does not have the pedigree to go into an ethnic space and report. He can't. Oh, I doubt that he even it physically set foot there. He hasn't it's a, it's a God, physically the reason set foot he is, His name is tied to this article, and I assure you he probably did zero legwork on it, is because it's a gotcha of, it's like, it's a minister gotcha moment. It is. And I just want to know. It's if, a chance for him if to. If Hussein was, Hussein? Hussein. Sorry, my bad. If he were white, from nor even from North Bay, and he was a party insider or, or with the Liberal Party for a few years, do you think he would be getting this treatment if he were a minister? No. That's why I'm saying this is a fucking racist article. It's just, it's just so racist and bigoted. 
And the thing about it is, like, th- what happened with Jagmeet Singh was a tragedy. Th- once Terry Malefsky came out with this Air India, qu- I was like, what the Terrible. fuck? And he seemed to have a personal vendetta. And the fact that these guys are the gatekeepers of Canadian media and they're letting their views become news is mm. it should scare all of us. As a note. So support Ban Bitchy. As a note. <laughs> To my reporter friends who I know are listening to this, if you have issues with what we said about Bob Fife, fucking email us. Tell me to my face and tell me I'm wrong. At because me. prove it. At prove me, it. At I me and tell me how he how he gr- carpools his grandchildren, okay? Because <laughs> that's what I'm going to hear. Oh, well, he's such a nice guy. He can't be a racist. <laughs> well, what I think what's great well, is that we... Well, are we going to Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah. No, but Erica, you've got the receipts. Like I had actually forgotten the panels and that like those comments. He is completely ignorant about race and racism. Um and at you know best, what? if not malicious at worst in his you know this hit piece of his. You fucking Globe and Mail reporters, if you want to send this to Bob Fife, fucking do it. I don't give a fuck. I would love to have Bob him Fife. fucking come on. Have him sit here with us and chat. Like actually let's house? why don't I mean <laughs> like, We'll do a what? workshop if he wants. <laughs> He's got to pay could us, teach. Oh, yeah. He'll pay out the teeth. Well, <laughs> Erica well, will negotiate the <laughs> price of the, uh, <laughs> the work. And the thing is, I'll be like, we could come down to Toronto, all expenses paid, of course, and teach all of the Globe and Mail reporters what the fuck they need to write when they write about race. First, they they're have all no fired, clue. and you have to hire entirely new staff. But Anyway. So, guys, fam. So, fam, guys, I don't know if you know, but uh, sexual harassment cases are way down, according to a new report. Um, The number of officially filed sexual harassment complaints hit a two-decade low in 2017. In the midst of the Me Too movement, which has brought to light alleged wrongdoings by film executive Harvey Weinstein, guest co-founder and CEO Paul Marciano, ew, who buys his clothes. Ew. And many Speaking others. Speaking of 98. <laughs> Seriously. Um, the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, and its state-level counterparts received just over 9,600 complaints in 2017, according to data ob- obtained by Bloomberg. And that number is down from more than 16,000 complaints in 1997. So does this... 41% drop in the number of sexual harassment complaints filed over the past 20 years. Man, we're really in the past 20 years, huh? <laughs> the 90s are back. Does this mean that individuals are facing fewer instances of sexual harassment on the job? The answer is probably no. Instead, it likely speaks to another number. The 56.2% of private sector non-union employees, a total of 60.1 million Americans, who are subject to mandatory employment arbitration procedures. Individuals who have been on the receiving end of sexual harassment in the workplace are less able to bring their claims in front of a court of law. The number of cases is almost certainly in decline for one of the same reasons that sexual harassment continues to permeate workplaces, how claims of wrongdoing are handled procedurally. The problem starts even before an individual's employment tenure when they sign their contract. In a trend driven by a, quote, series of Supreme Court decisions dating back to 1991, 
American employers are increasingly requiring their workers to sign mandatory arbitra arbitration agreements, end quote, according to a report from the, e the Economic Policy Institute. As such, individuals sign contracts as a condition of their employment that contain a mandatory arbitration clause. Such provisions stipulate that the employee will be required to resolve a dispute with their employer, including charges of sexual harassment, through arbitration and not before a court. So, Amy, our labor lawyer, uh -oh. uh, what is the role of unions? And, like, we recently saw the Supreme Court in the United States basically try to attack um, the role that labor unions play. Mm -hmm. And, um, sh one, should people who are required to sign these contracts consult with a lawyer? Should they just, like, sign them arbitrarily? And, like, what risk does that put them at as, like, you know, getting a job, but right. two, like, you know, from the labor side, what's, what's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to like watch and, th and that's, what's so great about this coverage that we're doing is that, yeah, you're matching the rates of uh, reporting with, with the legal trends. And so at some point there were probably very little instances of harassment that reported because there was no legal mechanisms to deal with them. Then we created legal mechanisms to deal with harassment. And then, of course, there was an uptick. And now employers got wise to how to deal quietly with incidences of harassment or to create an environment where people don't report. And so that's where we are now. It does not mean it's not happening. So if you're unionized, you the, I, the biggest benefit of being unionized is you get access to representation. And the biggest issue right now in Canada in terms of any sort of legal proceeding, any area of law, is access to justice. It is is absolutely prohibitive to get a lawyer. In fact, if you are in a employment contract one on one with your employer, you're not unionized. It would the cost it would take you to to get representation for harassment for whether it's her claim of harassment, which you would have to you know file yourself and figure out all and you know maneuver all of that process but it's very professionalized you have rights under human rights act rights in c like civil law you have all of these different rights under different statutes very hard to navigate you almost certainly will need a lawyer and i you know i would say you would need be need to be making at least in the up like upper um you know in the upper end of like pay rates to be able to be represented there aren't a lot of employ. I mean, there are employment lawyers who do, you know, different rates and packages for people who are lower income, but it's it, it's rare, hard to find. It often costs more than you think because the employer will always have more money and will be able to outspend you. And they rely on that. They rely on the fact that they can prolong proceedings, prolong investigations and wait you out until you can't afford to be represented. And then when your complaint is at the end of its rope and you want to withdraw it because you can't afford to keep going, they're going to come after you for costs of their legal fees for having even pursued the thing in the first place. And those are the types of tactics that people have unfortunately learned that corporations will use, right? So it's a huge deterrent. In this article, they actually talked about Fox News and um, Roger Ailes and uh, it wasn't Gretchen Carlson, was it? I can't remember. Anyway, when I actually open the piece, mm -hmm. then I'll let you all know but what they were saying or what the piece was saying was that um it was carlson yeah um was that 
when she filed against Fox News chairman, like she she signed something that said that she couldn't sue Fox. Mm-hmm. She couldn't like actually sue Fox News, and they said the case of uh, was remarkable because she was able to take it to court. But the reason she was able to take it to court is she bec- is she sued Roger Ailes himself. Yeah, not the company and not Fox News. So that's how she got around that. But I mean, we we talked about these non-disclosure agreements before when we talked about Stormy Daniels. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I just got a non-disclosure agreement like across my desk for what I do. Like I have a client who want who wanted me to um, sign something, and that's why I have a lawyer. Um, <sighs> By the way, if you're going to freelance or anything, get a lawyer. Well, to Aaron's question, I mean, anything like that, any form of employment contract aside from an NDA, but anything else, like your terms terms of employment, you you should get someone to review that. um, That's right. And, you know, it's a one-time consultation. It'll cost a bit, but if you're about to start coming into a paycheck, it's it's worth it to put a little bit of that towards getting it read over. I, I think that legal representation for individuals is a thing and i and it's also because of the reason you said we don't have the union representation anymore um well the baby boomers made sure of that well you can still unionize your workplace you can can still or try to or try to it might not yeah but well yeah you know (laughs) they don't get to say fuck right off i mean your ability to organize is dependent on on you so tell us a little bit more about that. If you want to run a drive, that. you can run a drive. Like in a general sense. Well, in a ge- I mean, essentially, y- anyone can run a unionize, like a campaign to unionize a workplace, more or less, with the exception of some industries. Yeah. Um, and and it's how would you go about doing that? Uh, so a lot of journalism, co- like media companies are doing, are starting to do this yeah. or have done this. Like Vice went through one. Yeah. I think the Washington Post might be in the middle of one. A couple other ones. So are. essentially, you start by like if you and a group of of employees want to look into unionizing, and it doesn't matter how small your workplace is. I know workplaces of like two and three that have unionized themselves. So it's right. it, it doesn't require much, but you think you look at the what union is biggest in the sector that you're working in, or relevant, or at least relevant to the work that you do, because the the labor boards will favor unions that have a specialization in a certain area. So if you're in food service. You would, you know, they would favor the United Foods workers or whatever, yeah. food and commercial workers. Um, and, uh, or, and you can shop around and look at different unions that unionize your sector and see which ones appeal to you and do the kind of work or have the principles and values that you share and reach out to them and see if they want to put resources towards helping you run an uh, organizing campaign. And then from there, it's about getting votes. I mean, it's like an election. You're yeah. electing the union to come into your workplace uh, and represent you. And there can be did multiple unions bidding for the same workplace, but more often than not, it's one trying to unionize, and you have a you have a vote. There's different ways the votes can roll out, um, and you know, the, of course, employers will try to quash that and get around, you know, um, issues of whether or not you're a temp agency or, and the, which is now the liberals have tried to m- close in on that loophole, but that's sort of developing. 
mm-hmm. um, and you know other other sort they you know they have other pa- like ways tricky ways to <laughs> try to co-opt your organizing efforts, but um, it you still can unionize, and there are unions that are now working to get more precarious workers unionized or unions that represent freelance workers and there are so if you can't if you're in an industry that's not unionized you can form an association that mimics that of a of a union and get recognition from if you get enough support you can get the employer to recognize you as being the valid representative of your colleagues so it's it's totally still doable but it is getting harder and like Aaron said, um, you know, there's a concerted effort happening at a very high level to stop unions. So the decision from the Supreme Court in the U.S., um, Janus, it essentially takes away, it makes it possible for states to take away uh, the funding for, like, s- unions' ability to collect dues. Yeah, so people can opt I out of paying yeah, dues. Yeah, we just saw that. Yeah. Which is super yeah. fucked up because it means that, well, one, we collectively bargain for you. So yeah. we're getting a contract that applies to everybody. So s- you'll have members of a union now in this new world that can not pay dues but still get the benefit of the pay increases, which are substantially more through unionized environment, get be- the benefit of all of these other things, but they are not contributing because they've opted out. Which means that the ver- like money that unions can draw on to do political, like not just political activity, but campaigns and and collective bargaining and representation diminishes, and so they can run fewer cases and hearings. It's it's actually really I think damaging. we're we're, yeah. we're starting to see what unions actually did. And like I'm I'm all for being people being able to opt out of the union for whatever reason, but I definitely don't agree that they should partake in the spoils get the same mm-hmm. benefits that people in no, you can't yeah. have the you can't have the two systems at once no so it's just you're in or you're you're in or that's it and you had your right your right was when you got the chance to vote and if you have a union and you're dissatisfied you can decertify your union by running a vote to for the you and the rest of your members to leave and if you are the outlier and you lose that vote it's like any other sort of democratic functioning and your union is made up of you you can run. You can run for the local. You can run on a national level. You can get a job as a union staffer, as a member. You're, you know, you're entitled to seek employment within the union and do all this work. So people who, who have this opt-out mentality, um, I think it's very dis- – like it's, I think it's, it's ignorant to what the union is actually doing. And they're, they're free riding no matter what. Yeah. There's no way to avoid the free riding. Now we're moving on to rent and receipts. This is where we each bring something to share with the others, and then we kind of bitch about it. So, Amy, get us started. All right. So I just wanted to bring up the Greyhound cancellation of its service out in Western Canada. So it's going to start this fall, which actually I think is a little too abrupt uh, of an announcement, but they're only leaving routes in Ontario and Quebec. This is this was once a national bus line that connected c- small communities across Canada since 1929, and now they are restricting that almost completely to just the most populated areas. In fairness, I will say the one Western Canadian route they are keeping is from Vancouver to Seattle. Oh, so important! The real, the true lifeline. Listen, I am from BC. I am from Vancouver, so. It's just like there. Everyone wishes they could go in Canada, wishes they could go somewhere cool in three hours in America. I don't know. I'm from Windsor. It takes 30 minutes to get to Detroit. doesn't get cooler than that. Sure. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm, I'll stand for Detroit. Bailey's anytime. like enraged right now with me. Oh, why? Bailey stands Detroit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Detroit's the shit, man. Anyway, Amy, continue. But in terms, well, the, here's the problem. So a lot of us who are Southern and like big city oriented for us would be like, whatever, it's fucking Greyhound, like take Via or take a mega bus or some shit. But we're, I think, you know, and a lot's been written about this and I think it's important. And if you've sort of like leaned past this headline, maybe you haven't given it a second thought. It, it's really important to underscore how much of a vital like lifeline Greyhound is for small and rural communities. Um, not just for like, econ- like one for people traveling to their jobs, but for people being able to travel for healthcare services, it takes people several hours in North in Northern and rural communities um, in, in the prairies, especially to be able to travel for healthcare and different medical appointments. But it's also an, a chance for people to, um, like safely get around and so a lot of missing and murdered indigenous women have gone missing on the highway of tears from h- whether hitchhiking using ride sharing services and um, you know or have been targeted because of their precarity or in moving around and maneuvering the vast prairies and have gone again like unnoticed and un- unfound for so long and that's largely because of the lack of a like lack of connectivity and so people's ability to be able to travel comfortably and safely and like with dignity is hugely important and i don't think we should understate it yeah i think that um it really reduces the ability for people in western canada to access one important services but two to be able to like be mobile like the train in canada is very expensive it's prohibitive yes absolutely and And it doesn't connect it doesn't connect most places no it connects through major routes and major cities exactly so like for us in ottawa to go to toronto or even montreal so toronto is a four ish hour train ride and montreal is a 90 to 120 minute train ride um and those fares can be over 150 dollars each way whereas like if from ottawa to take the greyhound to new york return is 200 dollars, and that's something that i've done many times yeah i've taken the greyhound to new york it's awful oh yeah i I don't want to do it like more than like three times in a lifetime (laughs) but but the point is you get there but at the same time like canadians should have the opportunity to be able to see their country at an affordable rate more at like at the very base level and that's not even thinking about like all the different types of people who Mm -hmm. need these services and to be able to sure i joke that like the vancouver seattle service is still intact but like ultimately like that's there's a very very privileged set of people who are able to use that service and who need to, who need to use that service because like people who need to use Greyhound to get to you know the interior of BC to visit family mm-hmm. to get or t- from the interior to Vancouver to get medical services they don't need to go to Seattle they are not the people the target demographic to go to Seattle to go see a sporting event to go see a theater production to go 
you know, or to lose money on drink, their return rate to buy things that they don't to drink <laughs> craft beer and shop duty free like yeah. th- that's not the target demographic like they're they're catering to a very middle class privileged set of people there who if they can afford to do those things probably are going to take via the train anyway or fly or fly yeah or or they own a car and can just drive themselves yeah. So there's talk now about subsidizing Greyhound. That's one of the things that Jagmeet Singh has, has mentioned in the last week. And But there are others who are calling for a nationalized form of transportation that would connect the cities <sighs> or in villages and, and rural areas, at I least to some extent. You know, this is what irritates me about, well, one of the things that irritates me about this country is there's no fucking vision in this country. And I wish that we had a Vancouver to Montreal, like high speed train system or something. Granted, that's not going to no, but at least people that's can sync up with it. Yeah, other yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and I'm not saying that that's for a specific demographic. I get that, right? Well, it could be for everyone. There, I mean, you get enough trans like transit users on any system, you can subsidize other people conceivably. That's exactly. Well, there so you go. So, <laughs> so for exa- so I must. I just want to interject. I just did a quick search. Mm. From Ottawa to Vancouver, it is a four-day trip on the train. Mm-hmm. Return costs over eighteen hundred dollars. Then why wouldn't I fucking fly? You can. Oh, but it's but it's scenic. It's meant to fly be fly for <laughs> just over a third of the price. Just under a third of the price. Yeah, I'd rather take WestJet, but whatever. That oh, is crazy. That's fucked up. That's not the demographic of it, but the idea is that it is a luxury train <gasps> for you to be able to see all of Canada and its great expanse. And like the thing is about like I love They're trying to be the trans type. <laughs> I love being in Europe and taking the train. Like sure. there is no better way to see Europe than in a train because it's beautiful, it's relaxing. And it's just like you kind of have to do it. You're like, oh, like these are foreign languages. I don't know what to do. Like, am I going to miss my train? Like, that's just like the experience you have to have if you're going to go to Europe. I know I'm very privileged in this like conversation right now, oh. but like that's the reality. Like, I like the train here too, though. Sure. When the Wi-Fi works. Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> but The like, Wi-Fi is spotty. <laughs> yeah. It's gotten better over the years. <laughs> Look, I used to have to take the train from Ottawa to Windsor because there was no flights except for Air Canada Jazz from Toronto to Windsor. Oh, so to Air fly Canada Ottawa Jazz. to Windsor would cost you a thousand dollars minimum each way. That was what it was at the time. I'm sure you <sighs> could get better rates from time to time, but because there was very few flights, and so it would take about ten to twelve hours to train from Ottawa to Windsor. I would think That's this would be within the, time the when you want to invest in the train, considering air travel is just so such a hassle. One would think that this is the time that you would invest in the fucking train. But what if we invested in bu- like in a b- in buying out well, Greyhound? Well, Why well, not well, do that? Okay, so as soon as I said train, I always no, said train because that that's, yeah, that's what we we're talking about. But that's way more affordable. It's yeah. easier to like figure out routes. It's like you can base it on need. We have all of those like statistics, surely, and the infrastructure there. Just buy out like the fucking Greyhound fleet. Yeah. I, I don't I see w- why we can't have a damn comfortable bus. I will say, like, compared to the United States, like, we are at a significant disadvantage in that, like, our population is so close to the border and, like, it gets very sparse and rural in places. And, like, 
that creates a big challenge. Like whenever you hear someone driving across Canada, you're like, oh, getting out of Ontario takes forever. Right. But, but you know so what? If you, but if you need to <laughs> take a bus to access health care or to access like basic needs, is it you're not? You're going to do what you need to do. No, but what I'm saying is, is it not a human right? Is it not Absolutely. like yep. a requirement to be able to like aid in the mobility of people to access basic services i absolutely agree and like i think this kind of mirrors the the discussion that's happening in the united states right now with like the roe v wade discussion and like if abortion becomes illegal then like federally then like it falls to the states and like it'll be immediately illegal in like 20 some states and like services will be completely reduced and like getting Healthcare, how healthcare for women is just a basic human right, and like that shouldn't be so difficult to obtain. But like, yes, we need to have services to get people there to obtain those types of services. I feel like healthcare in general is a basic human right. Women's healthcare is just different from men's. That's it. Like, we have different plumbing. We have different needs. Okay, that's there's n- there's just not. I don't see what the fucking big deal is. Like. No, I know. I'm just just so intense. I'm just laughing because, like, I love when you say, like, call it plumbing. I'm just saying, like, you know, we have different genitalia. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just listening to how we can't get tampons even, so. (laughs) Misogynist of the week, people. If you don't get the reference, I know you haven't listened to it. So, my rent and receipts um, has to do with the World Cup. And so I have a little piece of FYI about Erica, moi. I used to play NCAA soccer in Texas, mm. not Division One, so don't sound ooh. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. Is that like a JUCO or D D two, D three. Okay. So not like anything special. Yeah. But that's why I was in Oklahoma once. <laughs> but that's like based on like the size of the school not the quality of the sport just so we're clear thank you Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so like for i think a year and a half or something like that or a couple years i used to i used to i didn't know that's why you were in texas it wasn't why i was in texas it happened when i was in texas okay yeah so um i love learning yeah <laughs> Your face is awesome. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we have to get on IGT or something because I, I feel like we need to, like, yeah. do something like that. Okay, I'll cut that, too. Anyway, so um, the World Cup who where um, Croatia will face France on Sunday. At it is Thursday night right now. This won't come out till after it finishes, so... Congratulations, friends. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Croatia. Great job. I could be wrong. And I could totally like, but but, uh, if Croatia wins, I'm happy too because I love an underdog. Anyway. So. um, Remember when Zidane headbutted that guy? Oh, (laughs) yeah. 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You never know what France you're going to get. Either it's going to be like we reach the finals, France, or we completely implode France, like 2010. I I just, anyway. Um, So Pelé, who is the greatest soccer player of all time, predicted that an African team would win the World Cup before the turn of the 21st century. And I feel like that's been realized. 
<laughs> because in total, 23 players on in Didier Deschamps, so that's France, and Roberto Martinez, Belgium, their squads, can trace their ancestry to Africa. In countries where the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, estimates the 6.8 and 12.1% respectively of the population is comprised of migrants, it is an astounding statistic that indicates just important integration has been. That famous French squad that thrust the FIFA th trophy into the air in Paris in 1998. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? This, I swear, we should just call this 98. <laughs> oh. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, was noted for its diversity. The French tricolors, it was said triumphantly at the time, went from white, blue, and black to black, blanc, et beurre. <laughs> black, white, and a term for Arabs of North African descent. I feel like I feel like I just said a racial slur in France and have no idea. Oh, no. I, I feel like that's what it is. I thought you were saying butter, so I don't that's cool. I beurre, beer, beer, I don't know. Anyway, during the celebrations that ensued, French political leaders hailed the victory of Les Bleus, as the national team is known, as not just a win on the football pitch, but a win for the French model of diversity and inclusion. However, then came Marie Le Pen. Ugh. So uh, basically what this article is talking about is how it, in it was in The Guardian and there was one in the National Post about how important integration has been for European teams to succeed and to get to that next level. Because who the fuck cared about Belgium 10 years ago? Nobody. But I saw that they got some people of color on their team, and then all of a sudden they started performing better. So there is also, and if you talk to some soccer fans, they will tell you, or some foot footy fans, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, Very they controversial. They will tell you that... Um, there's a bigger issue going on here and it is yet another way of Europe to exploit the resources of Africa, labor being one of them. And what Europe does is that they dangle citizenship in front of these kids and their families to be able to do so. So that's like their currency. When I, w when I lived in England, um, I know you guys are finding out a lot about me. Um, <laughs> What I found, right. the number one, one of the, n one of the things that, I've, that just hit me that I didn't realize was a thing was that citizenship was its own form of currency and that I stopped being a black Canadian to a certain extent and started just being a Canadian and the currency and the treatment that that got me compared to um, my black African cohorts or or whatever yep. and my West Indian ones was so distinct and so obvious well yeah like have you tried to immigrate to America like you basically just need to marry American yeah it's just easier that way yeah it really is yes and so um, 
I find this on an athletic stage, as I said, like an exploitation yet again and exploiting Africa and whoever else out of their footballing or their sports resources or their labor resources on a bigger level. And, you know, um, that is an extreme form of white Western privilege that we don't talk about because we just, because just because our focus is different. Right. But I just want to bring it up. That's my rental receipt. Yeah. I, it's really interesting how much currency that citizenship holds. And I don't think you actually realize it until like you are the person who wants it. And I think that's why shows like 90 day fiance are so salacious and like enjoyable to watch. And like, don't get me wrong. I love 90 day fiance because it's trash and I know people who watch it religiously. I'm I'm no, 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 no shade. I get it. Um, Like it. Yeah. But yeah, like it really, it really uh, is interesting how like to take it into like the sports kind of, realm in like see how like i don't know the ability to travel on a canadian passport is something that most can i think we do around like i'm we do around this table understand how important that is but it's something that canadians themselves have no fucking clue about like most of them because the only place they go is like dominican republic mexico and fucking las vegas where the fuck do they go right but if you've actually had to France was especially interesting for me because as somebody who didn't speak French but was black I was okay and I was they liked me enough because I was Canadian had I been African French fuck that 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 oh no problem would have would have ended pretty fucking quickly yeah there's like they've like prioritized like their they have prioritized their level of black that they like let's say same with england like it's the same thing and so i just find it interesting to play because of this background i just find it interesting to see how it plays out on the field yeah i never thought about how, how it plays out on the field and like I think people who aren't of color don't recognize that there is racism within racialized communities also. Right. And like we, we've talked about shadism before. um, But like even in Asian communities, like the, the quote unquote top Asian countries are like, uh, Japan, Korea, China, uh-huh. and then like at the bottom you've got like your Thailand, you've got your Philippines. Mm-hmm. Yep, and like that that's very normal for them, even though it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so within that is also the fact that um, there's also a division between the citizenship of people of color. Like, mm-hmm. so me my so me my cousins who were born in the states my cousins who were born here with me very very different than my guyanese cousins mm. like we couldn't all get on a trip and say hey let's go to england right no bitch and and it just doesn't work that way 
because they would have to get a visa. They would have to do this. They would have to do that. And we're not sure if the government would get back to them and blah, 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 blah. And I wish that people who were, were talking about immigrants like, like they're some pieces of shit at the bottom of their shoe, they had to go through half of what these people went mm-hmm. through, a quarter, they would be crying. And I know they would all be crying because they all, they're complaining about the privilege they have. What do you think, Amy? Um, I mean, I have a little, yeah, I totally, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I don't know that I have too much to add other than to say, you know, I can, anyway, I'm just thinking about the example of, of Palestinians and statelessness yeah. and the idea yes. of having no, uh, no identification or an identification that's not widely regarded and, and what that means and, and obviously the, the privilege of being here. So Well, the privilege of having a citizenship of a nation oh when, yeah, you're, of when any you're talking kind, about, mean, yeah. because how do you travel? Yeah. How do you get into another country? Like, think about it. When you show up, let's say you even have the privilege of having money to fly mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do you get into that country? Yeah. How do they let you in? Yeah. Like, that well, and then when you're there, you don't have the benefit of consular work or people to get you, like, you know, to look yeah. after you when you're there. The idea that, like, and that this is an issue where, you know, you see the duplicity of Western countries, like the way we treat folks who are racialized in Canada, who travel abroad or may have dual citizenship and then are detained overseas and we don't bother to try to get them back or have them extradited home or to assist them in any way we are like you are racialized you have dual citizenship you went there stay there and you we're not going to deserve it you probably deserved it and we're not going to protect you yeah i find but i find canada in general just bad with dealing with any sort of of issue oh, it's abroad. terrible and then the, the other the other uh uh, what I would call a slur, the idea that some people are fair-weather Canadians. They're, they're Canadians when it's convenient, and then they're citizens of another country at another time when they prefer it. It's, it's what you know Stephen Harper said about Lebanese people who were in Lebanon during the 2006 I war. And there that. was a thing about, you know, yep. there was, do we bring them back uh, or do we leave them there? And a lot of folks, including Stephen Harper, refer to them as fair weather Canadians. They I go there on that. the summers when the, the convenience is them, and they want the b- or some of them haven't lived here in years, and they want the benefit of citizenship. What? Well, first of all, it's humanitarian aid at this point, period. But second of all, like your rights are your rights, regardless. You could say that about fucking snowbirds who spend absolutely. half the year in goddamn Florida. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. But they're not racialized. Yeah, and or in ex general, or any so. expat, right? So any expat. Yeah. Any expat. So my rent and receipts this week is uh, about late night television. So mm-hmm. we know that late night television is basically a field of white men, save for Samantha B, who is held to a different standard than <laughs> her, the rest of her cohort. Does Arsenio still have a thing going on? I okay. Nineteen ninety eight. Zing. So. (laughs) Touche, Amy. (laughs) Touche. It was announced this week that uh, Bravo is going to be creating or launching a new show, um, which uh, is going to be a late night show. And uh, it's going to be called 
Real Men Watch Bravo. And uh, it will be hosted by none other than Jerry O'Connell, uh, whose career highlights... Wait, my secret identity? Whose career highlights include featuring prominently in the music video for Mariah Carey's Heartbreaker. Oh, yeah. And starring opposite Anthony Anderson in a CGI marsupial in the film Kangaroo Jack, for which he was nominated or awarded a Nickelodeon's Kid Choice Award for Favorite Fart. No. Ooh. He was in Billions a couple times. I mean, fine. (laughs) So basically, Bravo is known for its female-focused reality programs like Vanderpump Rules, Million Dollar Listings, Listing, and of course, everyone's favorite, the Real Housewives franchise. So one would think that given that the programming of the network is predominantly focused on females, that the show would have a female host. But... Why would we do that? But (laughs) in addition to it being hosted by a man, all of the guests will be men. What? (laughs) Because the show is basically... What's the name of the show again? Real Men Watch Bravo. And basically, (laughs) my presumption is that it's going to be about how men also enjoy watching Vanderpump Rules, Million Dollar Listing, and the Real Housewives franchise. Sure. And that it's giving them a justification as to why it's okay to watch this quote-unquote guilty pleasure shows, which is basically saying that these shows are brainless and women shows targeted towards women aren't real and that uh, men need to justify it in some sort of weird masculine way. I mean, I hope that's not what it is. I hope it is like them unpacking that toxicity (laughs) on bravo (laughs) yeah i'm 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 skeptical i mean the fact that no women can be guests is absurd the host should have to sit there and listen to women lecture them that's what the show should be but yeah so uh wow oh jeez because i hate andy cohen too (laughs) i mean hate him or love him andy cohen is a brilliant man he's Oh God, he just needs He's the to architect like of our time. He is, but at the same time, can he not be like on the show? Well, that's yeah. I mean, because like I, I'm here for his architect. That would be. I mean, he's a little extra, but that would be relevant at least I'm if he was one of the hosts. I'm just very over this idea that these sh- like I don't watch them, and I, I don't think they're good or entertaining. But, like, the fact that, like, these shows are only for women and therefore a guilty pleasure and therefore a man with any degree of masculinity mm-hmm. shouldn't and totally. can't watch them is such right. fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like just because men don't have guilty pleasures. They have pastimes. Yeah. Mm. They, they sports and they watch real things like billions and Game <laughs> of Thrones and whatever. Well, you know my ongoing struggle with the the makeup diatribe right like the makeup whole thing yeah. and the fashion whole thing and i seriously stand for these things because of exactly that reason that any sort of any sort of of pastime that women take up is to be looked down upon and looked at as mm-hmm. frivolous and a joke and anything that men do as a pastime is looked at as 
um, a billion dollar industry. You know what the biggest fucking industry is? One of them, beauty and fashion. So I Schneer- were gonna say Kylie Jenner. <laughs> The self-made. By the way, y'all got to follow dictionary.com. It's the best. It's the best. Oh, really? Yeah, because they shaded shaded the whole idea of self-made. Oh, my gosh. And then the whole Papa John dude who said the N-word, too. It was great. Anyway, sorry. That's that's an aside. But that's why I really, really try to stand for, like, fashion. Well, number one, because I love them. Uh, number two, it tells us a lot about ourselves and our society. And three, like, I dare somebody to tell me it's frivolous. Is art frivolous? Is design frivolous? Oh, is that why you look such a hot mess? Okay, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I am just tired of having to defend what I love. I love sports, too. Same. You know, but fuck, I want to know what Glossier's new you know, like, like thing is, Mm -hmm. I want to know which palette is hot. I want to know what Rihanna's dropping. I want to know that shit. And this idea that like Bravo almost just emasculated the whole fucking series by saying real men love Bravo because it's kind of like, yo, we didn't even, did we even think about this before it happened? I I think part of it though is like they are, I don't know. I'm trying to take like both cynical and somewhat more optimistic look on it. I think what they're doing is trying to get into the space that Queer Eye has carved out. Yes. For like reality shows that take things that are femme or queer and like break them down in ways that like, you know, confront toxic masculinity. And I think but that's not what Netflix. No, I, and I don't think they'll pull it off, but I think that's what the intention. I see. I think that like when I read real men like Bravo, it's them trying to subvert people's yeah, assumptions yeah, yeah. of what Bravo is. And what real men is. Yeah, yes. and what real men is. Yeah. I don't think they'll do it successfully based no. only on the list of co-hosts. And I think I'm going to be proven right. But um, I think they do see this excessive queer eye, which does take like a queer lens and pu- puts it against some of like, like the I most need to watch them. Oh, you should watch Queer Eye. It's very good. Okay. It's very, very good. Because I the last one was that in the nineties? Yeah. Okay. That early two thousand. So th- in this remake it is like a lot more political. It's all set and oh. it's all the people they do are in Atlanta. They go around oh, like you in have Georgia, but they're based in Atlanta. I love it. Oh, okay. And th- it's a lot of um Folks from, you know, rural or small town or like <laughs> some people who are straight up like will be like, I voted for Trump. I'm straight up bigoted. Which no actually way. that's the worst one of the worst episodes. But watch it. And there's a lot to break down. But the whole like the whole conceit and they use words like we're here to like fucking break down toxic masculinity and like nice. bring you into this stuff. And like you should wear makeup and don't worry about the experiment with women's clothing. Like you should like, you know, yeah. like and it's very direct. Right. And blunt. And it's very emotional. And it's so well thought out. OK. And so I think that's what this is trying to be. So picking up from what you're saying, I think that in terms of that kind of discourse you can only do it on an hbo or netflix i feel like bravo's just not the place to do that because bravo has made itself because of the bravo, I think bravo wasn't bravo the home of the original queer eye yeah but still like 
the original Queer Eye. Oh, uh, no, I know it wasn't that. Yeah. But, but, but I think that's what they think. I think mm-hmm. they think that is their space. I see. And I think they have a lot of queer viewers as well. I see. And I, so I Fair think, enough. Like, I think a lot of people who tune into um, whatever. I always want to call it yeah, Desperate Housewives, but it's Real Housewives. Do they, do they carry RuPaul's Drag no. Race, too? I think they I might they broadcast it, but they don't host it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it might be in syndication over yeah. there. Okay. That, okay. That's fair. Anyway, I guess that uh, that does it for this week. Um, don't forget to follow us on social media. Find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook.com slash Bad and B Podcast, and email us Bad and B Pod at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.